This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Here on Spooko, we like our pork and our chicken free range. We like our feminism to be intersectional. Uh, We like our patriarchy to be smashed We like our capitalism to be in the process of being dismantled. (laughs) And we like our friendship to be homework free. And I think that's one of the points I really need to get to at the moment. Because an infuriating conversation that I've had a lot recently, and I don't know why, is um, normies who don't listen to rap being like, Peach... Have you heard <laughs> Harry Mack? <laughs> and if you haven't heard Harry Mack, do not give him or your very boring friends the satisfaction of finding out who Harry Mack is. <laughs> Harry Mack is the worst rapper in the world, including Skepta, and all he has done is master the freestyling, um, freestyling skill that you know, about 10% of rappers mastered 15 years ago and he's done it in a social media friendly way. So good luck to him. And just as a general, uh, just as a, as a general sound out to the world, uh, Harry Mack sucks and please do not share with me your views about Harry Mack. So I've got accountants who are all in their 40s or 50s who are like, fucking this guy just makes up raps on the spot, Pete. It'll blow your mind. Senior senior bastards who are like, oh shit, I started using TikTok and this guy came up, Peach, get ready for it. And look, if you're not familiar with with Harry Mack, it's that classic old school freestyling of like, oh, yeah, show me something, show me something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, take a look, yeah, Harry Mack, freestyle, like a book. Oh yeah, what? Yeah, don't get hurt. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, and I'm wearing a shirt. Yeah, give me something else. Yeah, yeah, give me it fast. I'm gonna do a rap about a podcast. Never outclassed. Yeah. I'm not weird. Yeah, yeah, you're wearing a beard. And it's just like exhaustingly bad. And I have to either summon up a like respectfully your opinion about rap music doesn't matter and it's boring or just pretend I haven't listened. So, look, it's just a nice reminder. We can all be tempted from time to time to assign some friendship homework. Shag, you've got a couple of TikToks Mm. sent from me, one of which you kindly watched, which I'm grateful for. But I think it's just a solid reminder for those of us who who attempted to assign friendship homework to do so only very, very carefully. Yeah. One of the things we've discovered through this podcast Mm. is the only way to assign friendship homework in a way that won't be a detriment to the friendship is to not expect anything in return. Zero expectations. There can be no deadlines. There can be no follow-up reports that are necessary for that. You know, you, you essentially... You might as well be putting it in a mailbox to nowhere. Like, just consider it that way. I think that's the only way you'll never get hurt with friendship homework. The second thing, though, Mm. is it's so crazy you went Mm. into both the rap and the freestyle rap route because, you know, Mm. you have have history, you have form as a freestyle rapper. Mm. And... I'm Harry Mack level. And 
I've noticed, because you're an artist in pretty much everything you do, especially mm. in the way you approach Spooko, everything we do on this podcast, like I do a little bit of homework, but our interactions are all off the dome. Peach, yep. do you approach the intros to Spooko episodes as you would when the mic's handed to you in a cipher? Yes, yes, I hugely do. I sort of come in and I'm like, all right, try to like make your brain go blank. Like, And I realise this is what good what good meditation must be like. And I don't, I don't want to just get into a genuine conversation, but I feel like the only times my mind goes properly blank are when, you know, I do the exercise equipment in the garage. Like when I mm. lift something very, very heavy, like I feel like there's nothing else in the world but this thing that is trying to crush me into the ground and me preventing this thing from crushing me into the ground or just going like mind meld blank out of like, okay, cool, what's the beat? Let's just go wherever, wherever you know, this skill that I've spent some time refining takes me. Yeah. So we released this podcast through the radio station we used to work at, FBI Radio, Mm. an incredible birthing ground for culture, essentially. You know, so many great artists, so many great presenters, so many great, you know, film, like you name it, have passed Mm. through the doors of FBI. One Mm. of the tough things, though, about FBI, and both of us having this artistic and, like, proper community artisanal background Mm. is you know we both work in the corporate world and it's really hard for me to turn off the voice in my head sometimes when i'm sitting in super corporate moments to be like this sucks why are you here what are you doing right like that very sort of negative like this is corporate shag what are you doing here sort of voice peach do you ever get that when you're at work uh, no, mainly when I'm getting. Uh, so I just had a long meeting with our with our accountant yesterday, and he was like, "Here's another entity you should set up, and here's just this way. If we do it like this, then you'll be able to do this." And I'm sitting there being like, mm, "What's very? Oh, I like that." Uh, and so it's at moments like that where I catch myself being like, okay, cool. Like you you really do either die a hero or live long <laughs> enough to see yourself become a villain. So the reason why I wanted to say that is you might mm. se- sense some excitement in my voice. I've mm. just got off like literally like 15 minutes ago. I just finished two and a half hours of this like regional management program I've been a part of where hey. I just sat through a couple of inspirational talks my artist, art school, community radio self is already sneering at me being like, Shag, what have you become? I am, I'm am. i just like, basically what I want to say is I just want to mm. shut down the negativity in my brain for this intro because I'm super inspired. I'm super pumped. What you just said before is like where I want to be. I just want to be focused on the one thing. I want to be focused yes. on my mission right now. And my mission is to get to this film. But also a big part of my mission is the fact that I'm so inspired by the Spooko community at the moment because it's become something that I didn't even know I wanted it to become, which is a co-creational space. So we know, number one, Kelly is essentially the third writer of charcuterie. In fact, what Kelly has already done is do something that usually comes after the film's come out. So after the film comes out and it's popular, then there's a novelization of it. Kelly has Mm. written the novelization of charcuterie before the films even come out. Like, it's exciting stuff. I like, I really can't wait to properly delve in and integrate that. Also want to give a shout out to Ben who is uh, effectively created a very street new logo of Spooko that I'm so into right now. Yeah, it's the best. It's like I feel like it's so easy to be cynical about graffiti now that there's a font and stuff that you can be like, you, you know, hello fellow kids. <laughs> I'm a, this is graffiti writing. And so to have someone who actually understands the art form and understands 
you know, the community and understands the history and understands what it would mean to you and I to have to have a work like that put up. It, it just meant a lot, Ben. So it's a it, big, big like thing. Like right down well. to the fact that Resh's What's Up was in there, you know, a, yeah. you know, a really key part of our show. So Not enough crowns or arrows for me. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like my graffiti with more crowns and arrows on it. And also I would have liked it if there was like a sequel calling some other podcasts toys as well. That'd be, that'd be cool. I also don't think, I think, like I want to call things toys but I feel like it would be a toy move of me who's not enough in the culture to call other people toys. I think you call people toys. Okay. All right. Uh, see, there so you go. So Blogsy's a toy. So so you go and find their graffiti and you cross it out and write toy, Oof. which I used to do occasionally <laughs> and, and feel like I was pretty tough. <laughs> well, anyway, but, look, um, there, so I am on, like, I am, I'm fueled by, mm, like, a corporate inspiration. talk, corporate inspirational talks. This one was by a mm. fighter pilot, which was pretty fun. I'm fueled yes. by the Spooko community. So, Peach, mm. all of that said is that, I have mm. a really cool story about Shutter, but I don't yes. want to go into your beef with Shutter today. Can we save it for the next episode? Oof. Yeah, okay. Look, do you want me to put on pause my fury and disappointment <laughs> with all the like, with all Shutter? Are you assigning me the friendship homework of rethinking my relationship with Shutter? I'm not doing that at all. All I'm saying is, can we keep this positivity train moving and move yes. aside your beef with Shutter right now yep. as we get to today's film? And Shag, look, we are an honesty podcast. I think it's only fair to take everyone behind the curtain and say that I don't know what a <laughs> migraine is, <laughs> but the, but I'm in the middle of the worst headache I've had such that I'm just staring at the ground, rocking back and forth and doing my best to make sure the audio is nice and spooky. And so the power of positivity is you are now solely carrying the enthusiasm of this show on its shoulders while looking at your co-host sort of rocking back and forth in a way that I'm sure is fairly upsetting. There, there is every chance that this podcast mm. will cut out, this episode will cut out early, and it just might, and mm. we'll continue it next week, mm. be forewarned. With all of that said, let's get mm. into today's film. I saw it on Shutter last night. I Oh, sorry. Pause, pause on my boot. <laughs> Instinct kicked in. It might be one of the darkest films we've done in a long time. I feel weird sharing it with you. I feel weird sharing it with anyone, except for the fact that it's a fantastic film. Today, we're doing a 2020 horror thriller called The Boy Behind the Door. I can't wait till we're older. We can leave this place. Where do you want to go? Somewhere where the sun's always shining. Kevin? Kevin, can you hear me? It's me, Bobby. I'm scared, Bobby. Me too, okay? But I'm not gonna leave you. be in a worse frame of mind or worse mental state for a preview that's like it's a bit moody and i'm like huh, huh, yep, yep yep mood yep 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 good what's going on what's going on so shag consider that you've got a blank slate to uh inspire us all about the boy behind the door like i said before right like this is one of the darkest films we've done in a while this is a film that's hard to recommend and in mm. fact i wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's having a hard time 
dealing with horror movies to watch this. Listen to this because this is a good way to take you through it. Yeah, but okay. this film is 88 minutes, perfect time. 88. Yes. This film is 88 minutes of just pure tension. Is there like is there something genetically in us or some like was it nature or nurture you reckon that like that makes an hour and a half perfect? Like did we just grow up and and something about the culture we all grew up in makes 90 minutes the perfect time? Like I, it just is. I wonder if it's part of, you know, like is 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 the circadian rhythm like do we still go in 30 uh, minutes sleep or like kids go in 30 minute sleep cycles or something like that? Maybe it's linked to that. Maybe it's linked Maybe. to our actual, like, the rhythms of our bodies. But, yes, it is a near-perfect time for movies. And, obviously, it's the wrong length for a TV show. Like, a drama shouldn't be an hour. It should be, like, 45 to 50 minutes. Like if I And anything over an hour, I'm like, oh, this better be an end-of-series episode where it wraps up heaps of loose points. Hugely agree. Or otherwise, fuck that. You know, comedy should be about 21 minutes, give mm. or take. Shouldn't be shorter than that because then I'm like, oh, like, am I just watching like a really long TikTok? Like, what's going on? I do feel like the golden age of television was the golden age of like, oh, we don't really know how to end this, so we'll just keep <laughs> meandering on for a little bit. <laughs> it's so true. So, this film is incredibly tense. It's incredibly dark, as I said. It's mm. about two 12 year old boys in incredibly awful trouble. Now, this is why this is one of the reasons why I'm like, how the fuck do you recommend a film like this? Or how do you even talk about a film like this? I went to an interview um, with the directors. So David Charbonnier and Justin Powell are the writers and directors mm. behind this. They're a team. They did one horror movie before this called Dujin, which I think was about a single boy uh, like trapped in an apartment. I haven't seen it. I want to see it now after seeing this. Will we do it as a team, Shag? Like I, I sort of saw myself as bowing out no. as being like, yep, no, cool. 100%. No, no, Peach, Peach, Peach. The biggest mistake anyone makes is going, well, I'm not creative and thus uh, at some point in the creative process, I have to bow out and leave the real creatives to do it. Like it, it doesn't exist. Collaboration yeah, okay. between people with different skill sets is the key to creativity, not Collaboration between. Do you know what I mean? Yep, I get it. Yeah, I do. I get it. So, I get it. I get it. So, so yes, that is exactly how we do Shakuru, which is why Kelly's on the team, which is why potentially Ben's on the team, which is why yeah, anybody ben. who wants to join in, you know, with the creative process of Spooko, please chat to us. We're always willing to make this family even bigger. Yes, love, love, love. But in an interview, somebody asked, was like, this is a pretty fucked up movie, and it's pretty <laughs> fucked up to put two 12 year old boys in peril. And one of the directors said, I know this is going to sound like a horrible thing, but audiences love seeing children in trouble. They love. They don't necessarily love, love, love <laughs> like. But but then they made a really good point. They're like, think about Jurassic Park. Would Jurassic mm. Park be anywhere near as thrilling if it wasn't for those two kids trapped in the kitchen with the raptors chasing them around? Like, would that be the same scene with a couple of adults doing the exact same thing? Fair. Which, fair, fair, you know, fair. which isn't a perfect answer, <laughs> but it's a good answer. Yeah. Like, it does up the anxiety. Like, the stakes feel very high. I just want to say, as a parent, warning, this is a tough film to have watched and dealt with. And I think what makes it great is that at the end of the day, this film is all about these two boys. It's all about their friendship. And it is very empathetic and from their viewpoint. And I think that's mm. the thing people miss. It's like... You can tell a story about anything. You can make anyone the victim of anything as long as you're on the victim's side and you tell the victim's story and you mm. don't gloss over that or just make them a plot point. Agreed. So we start the film with... Oh, and this is the other thing, right? So this is a thriller, but essentially it's an homage to The Shining. 
This is what's so insane about this film. Well, this like there was a very obvious shot. Like we saw the here's Johnny door, like essentially. Yeah. There are three. In fact, there are four very clear shining moments in this Ooh. film. The very first one is the very first shot. It's a car moving through windy roads in an American yep. sort of woodland area. I do feel like that that is that has now become such a cliche that it that it has almost left just being the shining as like the way to start a horror movie is you follow a car from a you, you know with the camera on a helicopter or a drone these days. Anytime I'm in a convoy with a bunch of cars in a country setting or even like a more rural setting and we're we're driving through windy roads and I'm focusing on the car in front of us, I feel like I'm in a horror movie. So Henley, who's one of the hosts of our sister podcast, I'm over at Too Scary Didn't Watch is getting married this weekend or, or, or may have just got married at the time this comes out. And there are all these amazing photos in her and Emily and Sammy's Instagram stories of like them going to a country house and stuff like that. And um, I'm just sort of very uh, like the, the envy is very profound of like going and seeing friends and like hanging out around the woodland. And that's and that's where this movie is set for me. It's set at the house next door to wherever <laughs> wherever Henley's getting married in these Instagram stories. I also don't want, like, honestly, happy wedding, Henley. I don't want to jinx anything, but I've never heard a better start of a contemporary horror film than three horror film podcasters <laughs> all go to a secluded house for a big event. Oh, God. Don't jinx it, Shag. Don't worry. Silent, silent, silent General will be there as well to look after them. It'll be fine. All right, so so this is how the film starts, and there's there's a moment where a trunk opens, one boy is pulled out of a trunk while it slams shut on another, and it's it's oh, an God. awful moment. But then we cut to the two boys, so their names Kevin O'Connor and Bobby Green, and they're just there's there's a sweetness to and, and like to all children, but especially young boys pre puberty when they find a best friend. And they're basically their worlds revolve around each other, and the world is mm. full of magic. And it's this is what this is. It's a very sweet, like it's it's not even done that saccharinely. It, it feels quite realistic. And they're both mm. in their baseball uniforms, and it's either pre-game or post-game. And they're just sort of talking about just they're just running around the woods, just being best friends. And you know, mm. one of them's like, "We're always with it. we're friends forever," right? Like they they make that point before one of them is like. Like and this and th- it says this was six hours earlier, before Kevin's head is like slammed on a tree, and then they're both stuffed into a trunk. So oh, it's like gosh. it starts with them arriving at this house, but then we see mm. what happened. You know, they were clearly isolated, walking through like a woodland area when they're both abducted. Bloody hell! Bloody hell! Yeah, okay. Now children in peril. Like yeah, like if it was some adults, I'd be like, oh well. You'd just be like, well, it's sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> So Bobby is the one who's left locked in the trunk. He's able to free himself in, again, a really tense moment where there's not a lot of light. We can't see a lot of anything, but we know he's just trying to kick the trunk. He eventually frees himself and finds himself in this sort of old barn. He escapes and is running away, but he turns back Mm. to the house connected to the barn and he hears Kevin screaming for help. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. And so... And there's all these flashbacks back to the start all the way through this film when it's just like, 
we're going to be friends forever. And they also sort of yeah. mention, we're going to be friends forever. Like, I can't wait. I want to go and move to California. And so there's, there's often these shots to just break the tension of going back to that or them with their hands in the ocean or their feet in the ocean. Just, just these tiny moments of calm. But you can already see, this is like five minutes into the film. The yeah. tension is just rack, like, like, you know, right up to eight or nine. And it just keeps oh, going God. up. So he makes his way inside the basement by throwing a rock. What's the tension at? Like, what's what's David Brent level tension? Oh, like if that's if that's eight or nine, is David Brent like four, or is it also eight or nine? Yeah, it's 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 David Brent at the end of his dance when he's asking everybody to donate to his dance as well as his boss's dance. Oh, this is the mm, yeah mm, 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 mm. yeah okay. When he Christ. mixes some yeah, MC okay. Hammer shit with some break dancing. Oh God! Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, okay. And I know, and you're doing what me and Adele were doing last night when watching this, which is just talking our way through it because the tension mm. was unbearable. Like you had, like you had to. It's uh, like not to get distracted too much in the art making process, but but it is such a peculiarity of, firstly, horror creation, and secondly, horror fandom, that you know the creators and the fans are pursuing this grueling experience. It's it's. I feel like it says something about the human condition that my brain is too fucking filled with pain <laughs> to get to. <laughs> okay, so he makes his way inside and discovers that Kevin has been chained up in the attic. And he only discovers this because he can't find him, but then he hears Kevin's cries through a vent and he speaks to Kevin and he's like, Kevin, oh, can you get to the door? And Kevin's like, no, my my leg is chained to something. So they don't, he doesn't quite know how to get to him. Shit. So at this point he goes downstairs and hears some people at the door and he's like, fuck. And there are so many moments of just getting behind a door or just getting behind a wall or just ducking behind a chair before anyone sees. Yeah. Okay. And he notices uh, someone who's only described as the creep in the credits, <laughs> the creep arrive at the door and meet with an unseen kidnapper. So we never quite see the kidnapper at this point, right? We haven't seen who the kidnapper is, mm. but we see this this man, this very regular looking man arrive, hand over a wad of cash to the kidnapper, and the kidnapper provides uh, like a wristwatch with an hour counting down and then lets the creep into the house and then the kidnapper leaves. Good, okay. The creep then visits Kevin in the locked room and... We hear him say things like, it's okay, you don't have to cry sort of thing to Kevin, which is just fucked up. Oh, God. But at this point, Bobby, who's listening in, bumps a dresser drawer and knocks over a paperweight, which the creep hears. So the creep goes out into the house looking for Bobby. He finds Bobby and there's this massive chase and this chase is so awful. This chase is just awful where... Eventually, they get to the kitchen. Bobby takes a knife. The creep's like, what are you going to do with that knife? And he accidentally kills him. So basically, he causes the creep to trip on a table. He goes close to the creep to see if he's awake. The creep, like, jolts upright right into the knife, which stabs him in the gut. Adele made a really good point to say that the creep basically dies instantly. And she's like, a knife to the gut, even, you know, getting the gastric juices to invade the rest of your body. You probably mm. wouldn't die an- immediately, but that's just horror movie logic. Yeah, you have enough time to drive to the hospital almost. Yeah. Hey, I'm a creep and I was, yeah, just hanging out at a house. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I'm just, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So Bobby finds keys in the creep's coat bucket and goes back up to the door where he thinks Kevin is. 
but the keys don't work. <sighs> While searching for another key, he discovers a trunk full of bloody boys' clothes and a rotary phone. <clears throat> and there's a really great scene where he goes back up to Kevin and he's like, I found like one of these old phones that my grandma has, but I don't know what to do with it. And they have to sort of talk their way through about how this would work, which I think is quite good. Eventually, he finds a socket in the wall to call 911. 911's mm. like, please stay on the line. We'll come to you in a second. You're being kidnapped. Stay safe. He hears the kidnapper come home and... So he's like, I've got to go. And they're like, no, please stay on the line. We're tracking your location. And he's like, I've got to go. The kidnapper's here and hangs up. Oh, fuck. Yeah, okay. So the kidnapper then goes up and checks on Kevin and showers. Doesn't see the dead creep in the kitchen. So Bobby goes down, gets rid of the creep's body, scrubs the floor while the kidnapper's just doing stuff. He, uh, like, as part of this cat and mouse game, he gets caught under the creep's bed while the creep's sitting on it, drying themselves, which is so fucked up. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, isn't the sorry, creep Sorry, sorry, sorry. But the kidnapper, excuse me. Kidnapper, sorry. Yep, yep, yep. The kidnapper. The kidnapper leaves the room and, you know, he notices the kidnapper open a safe and sees the combination. So while the kidnapper leaves the room, Bobby opens the safe. He discovers heaps of wads of cash. He discovers sort of nude photos of other boys. Oh, God. And he discovers another key. He tries the new key in the lock to where he thinks Kevin is, but that doesn't work either. He, oh, God. He then tries picking the lock with the knife that he used to kill the man accidentally, but it breaks in the lock. Then realizing he has to remove this, he cuts his hand on the knife, trying to get it out <sighs> of the door, and leaves a smear of blood on the door. So he then goes and hides, but of course the kidnapper notices the blood and realizes that someone else is in the house. Bobby hides and traps himself in the bathroom because he knows the bathroom has a lock. And so the kidnapper then chops their way through with an axe, but Bobby is able to slice their hand with a nail file, making the kidnapper leave. So that is our second allusion to yeah, okay. to the shining and a very obvious one it's basically framed like the shining right it's it's an awful moment it's kind of nuts mm. anyway at this point the police arrive right now it's one officer because they only have a general area for where this is so it's this one officer uh, you know talking about a uh, uh, like a kidnapping in the area and the kidnapper comes to the door, and at this point, we find out it's a young woman. The kidnapper is a young woman. a young woman, yes, okay. And it's, it's a kind of a bit of a weird reveal. Like, it's pretty interesting how, like, you just expect it to be a man. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah. And they do a really good job of hiding it, but they give you kind of clues. Like, during the bathroom sequence, I was like, hang on, I think the kidnapper is going to be a woman. And you could kind of see it in the in the shape of the hand, in the ways of the, like they were definitely trying to make you think maybe it's a man, maybe it's a woman, but like not give it away. So she answers the door. She claims to be alone, but the officer asks for her ID because the officer notices the cut on her hand that Bobby just made with the nail file. Mm. After the woman doesn't return, the officer gets suspicious, goes inside, and at this point, Bobby comes down the stairs. So Bobby is like, help, oh my God, please, help. Third illusion to The Shining, she comes out of nowhere with the axe. Axe and just, in the back. Well, no, yeah, well, this axe nice goes straight into his stomach, but still. Okay. It's a very similar scene. So now, so, so the help was here, it's gone. 
The kidnapper has an axe, can see Bobby, and at this point, the kidnapper picks up the officer's gun. She discovers the creep's body at this point, follows Bobby down to the basement, and explains that she expected him to suffocate in the trunk. Now, at this point, she sort of... Like, it's never really explained what's happening, but you kind of get the gist. She sort of says, my friends would be really interested in a boy like you. They love a boy. They pay extra for boys that fight back, which is just, like, awful. Oh, God. And there's also an illusion. Now, at at one point, we see the creep's car. He has a Make America Great Again bumper sticker. Nice. Probably, like, I mean, every review's like, we probably didn't need that. Like, it's a bit, there's no reason for that to be there. But anyway, she does make a point where she's like, they don't normally like boys that look like you because uh, Bobby is black and Kevin isn't. And uh, so... There's, there's obviously that, like, there's definitely, there's, a, there's a layer of the fact that this is potentially like not just a child abduction, human trafficking opera- operation, but potentially like a white nationalist. Oh, like, it's there's a lot going on that's hinted at, but never, and like, yeah. it's kind of good that they don't explain it because it really is about the boys' experience. It's not mm. about the bad guys. So I might just take a vomit break, a potential vomit break. I'll come back in a short time if I'm not. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll come back by hook or by crook in five minutes, um, or earlier. Now, Pete, should we call this? You make some sound. I just one of these earbuds doesn't work. No worries, Pete. I got you, Pete. Should we call this? Are we good? No, let's, let's keep going. Your dedication is insane. Look, I'm going to try and race through the end of this. Uh, it, uh, I've got a minor anecdote that will allow you to keep the vomit again if you just give me a beat. Oh, oh, like give you a beat? Yeah, no, no. Oh, sorry, not a boom, boom, click. So, sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's the beat. Keep that in. Um, the funny thing about vomiting... Um, is that it reminds you how difficult it is to act. Like, you, you know, even when there are actors who are doing their best, they, like they've got a mouth full of soup or whatever to go, oh, mm-mm, or they go, they make the sound of like, wah, wah, wah. and you just sort of forget that it's just sort of like doing a cough and then sort of turning on a tap for a little bit, like a cough, cough, tap on, and they're doing some spits. And I think similar to phone acting, vomit acting must be the most difficult job for some reason, just... No one can look realistically like they're speaking in the phone. And vomiting is a is a problem that we might have to solve for charcuterie as well. And it would be a great service, I think, to the acting community. Look, the next time we do uh, Two Spooko Didn't Watch crossover, I think we've got a lot of acting questions because I also want to know yeah. how people act drunk because I think it is one of the hardest things in the world because you see a lot of bad drunken acting in TV and film, even today. <gasps> we saw some brilliant drunken acting recently and I'm trying to figure out where it is. No, and I'm just not going to remember. I don't know why. Anyway, sorry. This is very relevant to the horror film podcast. Let's do it. So she sort of reveals that she basically sells time with these kids she kidnaps and kills to her friends, as she calls them. Oh, God. Um, she then offers to trade Kevin for Bobby. She's like, like she says, she's like, look, you know, I I can see you love your friend. Like, uh, I'm kind of over this chase. I'm happy to let your friend go if you want to take his place. At which point Bobby attacks her very cleverly, handcuffing her to a pipe and stealing her keys. Okay. 
and and he has the handcuffs because he stole them from the officer, and he had like his the officer's baton, so he uses that anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Now she has the gun, so she shoots after him and unloads the full clip, and eventually hits him in the leg. But oh, he's God. still able to make it upstairs. These kids are the most amazing, and also these are actual twelve-year-olds. They act so well. Um, again, interviews with the directors. They didn't know the whole script. They just knew what they were acting in each time. So, yeah, so okay. they, they're not aware of what they were doing, essentially, which, again, is another ethical question. But Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? But either way, it's a, it's a phenomenal performance from them. Mm. Now, he slowly makes it upstairs. When he's finally able to unlock the door, he finds himself in an attic. Now, he goes up to the attic and he finds almost like a sitcom-style boy's bedroom with like teddy bears and like a model ship and a big video oh, camera on the wall. And, a, yep. and a big video camera set up in front of the bed again no explanation it's just the most God. fucked scene it's awful right and then next to that next to that room in a very dingy attic uh kevin is there chained by his leg and also wearing a shock collar around his neck oh god so they're finally able to unlock the door. He frees Kevin using the key he found in the safe. Remember, he found that key in the safe. He was, uh, and so that's the key that unlocked his leg shackle. The boys make their way downstairs, but we then see an unseen sort of monitor react to them trying to go downstairs, and the shock collar goes off. And <sighs> Kevin's like, "I can't move. I can't go down. I can't go down and be like electrocuted by this thing." <sighs> so Bobby runs back to the basement for pruning shears. But the kidnapper grabs his leg and sticks her finger in his bullet hole. Oh, God, it's so Uh. awful. So then Bobby frees himself by cutting her finger off with the bridges. It's disgusting. And she's like, how dare you cut my finger off? And it's like, bitch, like, are you kidding? Yeah, it's like, now you've really done it. Now, now. Bobby frees himself, but he's too weak to make it upstairs. And he crawls out to the barn we saw earlier. At this point, Kevin goes to the sort of balcony because he he can go anywhere. He just can't go downstairs. He sees Bobby basically laying there and he's like, Bobby, please don't die. And he's like, okay, now I've got to find my strength. So then Kevin goes downstairs slowly with the shock collar, like shocking him every moment. And it's just, again, it is excruciating to watch this kid basically just crawl down the stairs. But he eventually makes it to Bobby, slices off the shock collar Bobby's like, I can't do it. You've got to go on. And he's like, no, remember what we said? We are friends to the end. We don't leave each other. And they both get up and they wander into the woods. Now, this is the final allusion to The Shining where Mm. mom and kid make it out of the house, make it into the maze. They're, They're being chased by Jack Nicholson. This is the end, right? Like, this is how it's happening. Yes. So before they do that, they make their way to the cop car. They go into the back They find a first aid kit to wrap around Bobby's leg. um, And they also find a taser. At this point, our evil kidnapper finds them, knocks on the window, tries to break in, but it's a cop car. So you can't break the windows. You can't do anything. So she goes back inside and we're like, what's she doing? Is she like, what's she going to get? Comes back out with the keys from the cop's pocket, opens the door, pulls Bobby out. Kevin jumps out with the taser, starts just tasing her over and over again and was like, how do you like it? And it's like, I had to kind of laugh at this moment because it's like, yeah, nice. it's an absolute moment of catharsis. And at this point then, yes, they run into the woods. She finds the boys. They are exhausted. They are lying. They are basically up against a tree. They are completely defenseless. She's basically like, 
I'm going to take you out now, raises her axe, and then she's shot in the back by a cop who nice. have, they finally made it. In the end, Kevin and Bobby receive medical treatment. They're taken home. And the final shot, we see them both on a beach, like finally making it to California is the implication. I wonder, we've talked before about how you can have tension in written word, and especially written word mm. is condensed in this. How did you enjoy the retelling of the boy behind the door pitch? I found it more meandering than I was expecting, which I guess is is pleasant. Like you don't want to be feeling like you're just on rails, um, heading in one direction, and and that's and that's all there is. Um, I also like the under disclosure of what's going on. Like we are we are left with a taste in our mouths of you know pedophile ring flavored white supremacy flavored baddies, but. Also a bit more amorphous, you know, of like, well, what is the structure? Like, what is the thing that these poor boys have stumbled into? Um, I suspect, though, it's a film that is more about its style and the way it presents to a viewer than it is about the plot. I don't know, Shay. Like, how did you find it as a viewing experience yesterday? I, I, I found it thrilling. I also found it, Adele made a really good point while we were watching, which I think is so true, is that it, it seemed like a video game and that made me realize that for so long we've been comparing video games to film and saying, oh, this video game is very filmic or it seems like this. Uh, Whereas now yes. filmmakers have grown up with quite sophisticated video games. So I think now more than ever, films are influenced by video games rather than the other way around. And from everything, from the, the quick escapes the, the the tension and then safety, finding different keys that open different parts oh, of the yeah. house. All of it just felt very video gamey in, in quite a satisfying way. And then like I said before, like I try to avoid films that involve, you know, any sort of like pedophilia thing. And then side note, I still want to say again, I like if I was an actor, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying no to the pedophile roles. I'm just I don't yeah. care who's in it. I don't care who's directing yeah. it. I'm just not gonna do it. Like and yeah. not because it's like like all power to you. I just don't want people making that association with me when they see me. Yep. Look, it's a big sacrifice for your art to be like, no, acting is so important to me (laughs) (laughs) that I will let people associate (laughs) my face with pedophilia. (laughs) I think it's similar to people who are in ads for, you you know, um, culturally considered embarrassing things of like, oh, I've got hemorrhoids or whatever embarrassing thing it's meant to be, you know, somewhat embarrassing thing it's meant to be. Whereas the older I get, I'm telling people in like business meetings, it's like, oh, my hemorrhoids are playing up. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, guess what? (laughs) My filter has gone. RIP. Um, RIP to our embargo on friendship homework. Everyone should be assigning themselves this podcast to their mates. Tell your fucking friends. Like you probably haven't already because you're a good, nice spookanaut who wouldn't do that. But just do it this time. And then if you know, you know, is Shag's playlist. Every week Shag is banging out 20 songs. And I use the term banging which I understand is 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 in the process of being usurped with the word slapping, slapper, um, for a good song. So that's an next bit of friendship homework. And then the ACK podcast, which is Jamie Loftus' next podcast. You might remember Jamie Loftus did the Lolita podcast. ACK, A-A-C-K, is a new one. 
and it's about Kathy, the comics, um, and it's completely phenomenal. I'm just manifesting right now. I would do anything to have Jamie Loftus on our podcast one day. Peach, I hope you I've already invited her, and she didn't reply. (laughs) I'll I'll chase it up if you want. This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?